On this episode, I interviewed Steve Moore, who is the AFLW and Academy Strength Conditioning Coordinator at Carlton FC. The main topic of this podcast was how Steve developed athlete autonomy program as well as his in-season training program. We first started talking about how he got this idea of starting to play with developing the program with athlete autonomy. We talked about the benefits he sees when using this program. We talked about how he's able to do it with his athletes and what different age groups and training ages he needs in order to start using this system. We talked about is there any questionnaires or different outcome measures he used to try and get a better understanding if if this program is getting the benefits that he wanted. We talked about his in-season training goals and his principles to achieve these. Talked about how he uses this athlete autonomy in-season as well as any misconceptions about resistance training, athlete athlete autonomy, etc. there. So it's a really great and interesting episode. Here it is. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please have a listen and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Noic Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Steve Moore, who is the AFLW Academy Strength and Conditioning Coordinator for Carlton FC. So thank you very much, Steve, for being on. Uh, if you just want to first off kind of introduce yourself, tell, tell a little bit about your background, past positions, current positions, and then we can kind of go from there. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me on. Um, really excited to be to be talking to you today. Um, I suppose for me, um, as you just sort of touched on, my role at Carlton Football Club currently is the AFLW Strength and Conditioning Coordinator, um, but I also work across the Carlton College of Sport um, and the Carlton Academies as well down there. So pretty much my role is mainly working within de- like the development programs um, as well as within the with the women's side down there. Um, previously to Carlton, so I've been there for oh, about three years now. Um, and previously to that, I was I was working at um, Eastern Rangers Football Club, which is sort of in the NAB League system down here in Victoria, which is, for those that don't know, um, more of like the development league. So sort of the league that leads into the players getting drafted and um, going on to either AFL or VFL or back to their local leagues. Um, and yeah, it's just sort of combining that with a bit of private sector work with some at Melbourne Fitness and Performance um, down here in Melbourne and also doing a little bit of PT stuff for probably the last sort of six to seven years uh, previously before moving a little bit more full-time at Carlton. Nice, yeah. And so how long have you kind of been with uh, with AFLW and, and with Carlton? Yeah, so uh, around about three years now. Um, so we just finished our, well, the third season that I was involved with. Um, so yeah, been there since about mid-2018. Um, so coming up on three years. Uh, so yeah, been had a great time so far. Really enjoyed it. Really enjoy working within the AFLW program. It's it's a great great system to be involved with, and it's just yeah evolving year on year. And um, the athletes are quite remarkable, to be honest. The way they they prepare themselves and and balance everything else out in in um, in their lives with work and university studies and and just general social life. So um, yeah, really enjoy working in that space. Yeah, definitely. It looks looks like it's growing, so it's an exciting space to be in. So, I guess first here, we kind of when I first reached out to you, some things you you were talking about are athlete autonomy and then in season training that that we'll jump on into. So, I guess first off, if we just if you just want to 
maybe give a brief overview of what made you start looking into athlete autonomy and kind of how all of that came about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose one of the big things for me was a lot of my work had been done previously working, I suppose, those development systems and everything like that, where you're getting a batch of athletes come in and you might work with them for a year or two or, um, and then what they would do is the next batch, next batch would come in because they'd sort of hit their age threshold and move out of that space. Um, so one of the challenges that I sort of found being in, within, like say, particularly AFLW program was, all right, this was going into my third season and middle of COVID last year, sort of looking at some new ideas to sort of really try and keep um, our program moving forward from a strength and conditioning capacity and and also, I suppose, spice up what we were doing um, so that I suppose ideas wouldn't get stale or just looking for new things to do. So I suppose as we all did last year, we spent a lot of time listening to different podcasts and resources and watching webinars and things like that. And um, I suppose the athlete autonomy stuff sort of really first came to me um, I was listening to uh, Corey Schlesinger out of the States, um, who was on a podcast. Um, for those who don't know Corey, he's the um, head strength at Phoenix Suns now, I think he is. And he really spoke about some different ideas that he'd employed with his athletes over the last um, five or six years at different programs and trying to just really uh, put the training back in the hands of the athlete itself. Um, so that really, I suppose lit the fuse um, for me and, and got got me thinking about, okay, well, what can we actually do from our program perspective and and actually take our program to the next level? So yeah, just a few ideas along that line sort of got me thinking and then I started just brainstorming and um, as the year went on, we sort of added a little bit more to that process and, and ended up coming up with quite a few ideas on how to how to actually put that in play. Yeah, and, and I guess kind of kind of building off that, just maybe do you want to we can just continue on and, and kind of go through the full process of kind of how like it started then and developed to where you are now if, that, if that's all right and kind of go through the the trials and tribulations of of your progression of it yeah definitely so as i said sort of just started as purely an idea or something that i heard out on a walk one day on a podcast and thought hey that could work like um so sort of re-listened to it and, and went back through it and did a little, little bit more digging into what it actually looks like and then um, so pretty much the first method that um, we looked at was what Corey was talking about was creating like almost like a, a cafe, what he called the the, the Suns Cafe for Phoenix. Um, and we looked at, uh, sorry, he looked at um, almost building out the athlete's strength program like a menu at a cafe or a restaurant or something like that. You could chuck your own name on it however you wanted to do it. Um, now he sort of went through it in a few different ways and, and how they looked at it um, and sort of giving a little bit more control back to the athlete in which which lifts they choose and um, at the right time of the year. So it's pretty much his method or thought behind it all was um, it doesn't really matter how the athlete gets um, that stimulus as long as we're sort of like getting the desired result in a way. So if we pick what the stimulus is going to be, then it doesn't really matter whether it's a front squat, back squat, whether it's a trap bar deadlift or a, or a rack pull or a, whatever the lift may be. So that was more the thinking behind it. And I sort of took that part out of it um, as the biggest part and then sort of shifted towards, okay, well, how can this actually work within our program? Now, obviously, doing something like this isn't just run of the mill. You're going to roll that out to your, to your novice athletes or anything like that. So it it didn't really come into play until in season 
And I thought this was the time to really roll it out because it's you've gone through and actually given the athletes all the, the tools that they um, they might utilize within this time. And then it's up to them to choose what they want. But until you've given them the tools and, and taken them through all those um, different lifts and different movements within different blocks, um, they're not going to be aware of what they're actually um, what they like and dislike, if that makes sense. So that was the biggest thing that started off. Um, yeah, and it sort of just rolled from there. And then with that, I guess, uh, making that menu, is it, I mean, if you're allowed to talk about it, et cetera, um, is it kind of broken up into different movement patterns and then you program accordingly to how they feel and all that, et cetera, with that? Or yeah, so pretty much that? the idea behind it is that you create it like an entree main dessert okay and then in the entree factor what we sort of did was i'm not sure exactly how like Corey would lay it out but the way we sort of looked at it and went away from it was took what we took away from it sorry was in that entree part is okay well that's our, our preparation time that's going through and then doing sort of any um, movement competency stuff it might be running tech drills it might be anything that's sort of integrated into the gym from an athletic development standpoint Pairing that off with like our speed and power work um, that, that would happen. So just a bit of a background, the way we lift at um, AFLW level is we split our lifts up into two parts. We do a pre-training and a post-training lift. So um, the, the girls will come in sort of before training between four and six um, o'clock and they'll, they'll tick off maybe four or five exercises within that time. And then once they come off the track, they might do their, their lowers or their accessory work um, to finish off the night just so that we can sort of spread our time across pretty well and, and get as much out of it as we can. Otherwise, it's all sort of crammed in at the end of the night. Your quality of work drops off and and everyone wants to go home and, and eat dinner and, and the like. So we thought break it up, worked a lot better. So in that time, as I said, pre-training, that'll be like the entrees and everything like that going through. We might feed in um, one or two of like, I suppose, the desserts, which might be your accessory work, stuff that's not going to be impactful on our training session itself. So obviously, as we all know, we're not going to go through and do heavy eccentric work or anything like that prior to stepping onto the track. We will leave that sort of stuff till after after training. And then the mains itself will happen from a um, post-training perspective as well. Yeah, okay. And I guess what... So so when you've implemented this, what would you say some of the, <clears throat> the greatest benefits in... Uh, I guess that you've taken from, from, from utilizing this with your athletes. Yeah. So I think what the biggest thing I found was the buy-in was massive. Like we made our athletes earn their, earn the trust or earn the right almost to, um, to be under, able to undertake, undertake this, um, process. Like, as I said, we went through the whole process of going through, um, our off season and our GPP phases and SPP phases and everything like that building in towards our in season and our girls have done all the right things so what it sort of found was okay we're giving a little bit back to you um, in regards to having a say in your own training and doing lifts that you like or or picking and choosing when you'd, you'd want to do them so that was the biggest thing that I sort of found was that um, that buy-in they were able to sort of um, really accept this model and go okay cool like I get to have a bit of a say about what I want to do here um, it's not all about just opening up the phone and, and going through it and just being like oh this is what I have to do tonight rather than okay I've got to think for myself here what do I actually enjoy what does my body feel like doing 
um, and then actually going through it from there. And yeah, that, that's yeah, that, that the buy-in is definitely probably a big thing. But I guess how much autonomy do you end up giving? So when they they get they get their choice, what does that kind of look like? So all right, the first entree is X, and then is it? You know how how many is it like a massive amount of exercises? Do you have like a you put a couple down yourself and they can choose between a couple? Um, and how does that go? I guess. Yeah. So the way we started, we, there's two ways that we laid it out. It would either be um, com- sort of writing up our potentially our Tuesday and Thursday programs, and then putting that all into one. So we'd have all our ex- um, our entrees, for example, for the week listed, and then we'd have all our mains for the week listed, all our desserts for the week listed. And then from there, it would be up to the athletes to choose. Okay, well, um, but this was the initial sort of thought behind it was particularly in season, if we played on a Sunday game, for example, and some athletes are coming in on Tuesday night and they're still in that 24, 48 hour post period, um, some are going to be feeling good. Some are going to be feeling um, pretty sore and stiff and everything like that. So we thought giving the athletes the opportunity to go, well, Tonight, I feel like I need to do this because it's a bit more movement-based. It's a bit more just getting my, my body moving and a little bit lighter in, in load and everything like that. Thursday night, I know I'm going to be feeling a lot better. That's when I'm really going to attack that session a bit more. Whereas the other way we do it as well is giving them the movement pattern itself and then giving them four or five options of movements under that under that pattern itself there. So like giving yeah. them a squat and then giving them five examples, for example, then they pick that. So there was two types that we rolled out. Quite often we might roll that out together, um, but it would just sort of blend in that way. And we found whatever they wouldn't do on a Tuesday night, okay, that's your program for a Thursday night. Okay. So, so, so yeah, straight away it would give- make up its own – it makes up its own program itself – by combining everything together, the athletes just pick and choose what they want. There you go. There's your Thursday night program sorted for the, the later on the week. Okay, so so initially you have like one of the ways is a big program that they then split up themselves to choose what they want to do. And then another one is by having movement patterns and then kind of going from there. Yeah, so there's two ways, as you said, you can do it. I mean, like that would be more about giving choice, but you've still got a bit more of a, a hold on what they're actually doing. So that was that would be something you could roll out to, I suppose, um, a level of lifter that you might not be, might find as, as competent. You're still controlling the barriers, but you're still giving them a little bit of, of a say on what they do. Whereas if you had a bit more of a, a competent lifter or you've got athletes that have got like a high training age, you might go, yep, cool. This is your, this is your movement pattern that I need you to hit. Go and go and um, pick what you want out of that based on what movement you prefer. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I guess for that's kind of your movement patterns and your exercises. What do you do about load? So, do you is is load autonomous as well? And how do you go about allowing the athletes to change that? This year, we sort of went along the lines of um, so we have tried all also to manage load a bit better. Um, a traffic light system for load. This year, we sort of just went with, when we were trying to roll out the, the, the cafe model, let's say, we tried to not make it too confusing. So we might um, we might prescribe the load, the sets and reps, and, and the um, depending on what lift it would be, the weight that they're going to lift. But obviously, that would be open to discussion based on conversation with that individual athlete. So if they came to me and said, look, well, I'm still struggling and I feel like I'm 
I can't undertake that load this week, we'd have that conversation and go, okay, that might be a down week. Next week, we're going to look to really try and capitalize because we've got a longer break or we've got, um, yeah, we've got extra time between training sessions or games or, or whatever it may be. So we'd look at it from more of that point of view. What we did, as I sort of touched on just before briefly, was the the, tra- the traffic light system. What we did was, this was a part of our tracking through like the menstrual, menstrual cycle and everything like that. We tried last year that we rolled out a traffic light system. So almost like our block periodization where we'd sort of lay out a four-week block and go, all right, the, each week, this is what we're trying to hit. And then we'd say, it's up to you throughout that four weeks. You're going to have one green week, which is going to be the highest load of that block that you're going to hit. You're going to have two amber weeks, which is sort of just continue as, as prescribed. And you're going to, you can have one red week, which might be um, obviously um, if it was impacted by like either menstrual cycle or you're having a stressful week or the athlete wasn't just feeling it that night, everything like that, then that would, they'd hit the lowest load um, and intensity out of that block. So it, what would, what it almost create there is because it wouldn't just continue on like a linear, linear passage or a linear path it would create its own undulating um, programming block. Um, and it, <coughs> excuse me, um, it allowed the athletes to sort of, again, have a little bit more say on what they were doing. So control their own training, but the exercises themselves, we were programming out. So what we'd look to do next year is potentially try and combine those two together. So they're getting a say on exercises, but then they're getting a say on load. Yeah, okay. And so when you're doing when you're doing the light system, and you have your kind of your middle weeks yellow, amber, orange, whatever you want to call it, whatever country you're from, um, is is uh, how do you determine what what that level is? Uh, is that is that a percentages off one RMs? Is I mean obviously with your your main compound movements, obviously, uh, but and then and so on. So how do you determine what that middle ground is? Yeah. We, we sort of, again, sort of kept it a little bit more um, basic from that point of view and just went off of, say, more of our meat and potatoes or our compound lifts within the program um, and sort of said, okay, if I was to write out a four-week program, what are the desired loads that I would like to hit over those four weeks? So if the athlete came in and they went, cool, I feel fine for the whole four weeks, then they had almost hit three ambers or yellows and they just build normally, and the fourth week would try and be their heaviest week. So they try and chase that that number, or if that's how we sort of wanted to situate it, they they um, whatever the goal may be behind that lift, whether it's velocity or whether it's it's um, actually just moving the raw weight itself, that'd be their highest week. But then what we do is they could sort of mix and match that across the four weeks to pay it, depending on how they're feeling. So we'd sort of track, okay, well you've you've had your red week. Um, in week one, fingers crossed, we can sort of go through and, and continue based on normal. Obviously, that it doesn't always just go as planned with that. That's when conversations would come. But from when you're programming from a, a group perspective of up to 30 athletes, it, you might have two or three conversations like that across a four-week stretch as opposed to having 30 individual conversations and, and individualizing 30 different um, programs. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And I guess to kind of expand this even more, what about, so this is obviously your gym program, your resistance training. Do you, does this expand through conditioning? Do you do this conditioning as well? And then further on, does this go through your coach as well in, in training intensities, I guess? From a conditioning component, um, I suppose a lot of our conditioning comes just through our pure training. Like we sort of 
this year we didn't really do much prescribed conditioning because we sort of felt from our GPS reports and everything like that, we were getting the loads and the high-speed running and the sprint meter out of, out of our training itself. Um, again, the benefit of sort of being within a program for three to four years now of um, having that continuity within your, your, your staffing group is that everyone sort of understands, okay, well, this drill extracts X meters with high-speed sprint, da-da-da, all those metrics. So we sort of didn't necessarily have to do too much conditioning from there. We haven't rolled it out specifically from an off-season or a pre-season perspective from a conditioning point, but we have used a similar method in regards to um, working with coaches and rating their training drills from maybe um, a sort of a, a green, red, and yellow or one to four marking or, or whatever that it might be and of how, of how hard each drill might be. So giving them... 10 points to work with, well, what does that look like? It might, a match simulation might take up five points or or it might be a red or exact. So you sort of, you can employ it in the same same method or the same mindset, but it's just putting it towards more footy and, and utilizing the GPS data to bring those two together. Yeah, okay. And when you're when the coaches are doing it, when the athletes are getting able to have this, I guess, the autonomy and choosing and assigning is it just kind of general time and experience to figure things out or is there certain things that you find beneficial that you kind of tell them and guide them to, to understand what kind of each level is and then uh, how to how to adjust depending on how the players are feeling? Yeah, so we're massive sort of on education within our program about pretty much everything we do. Um, and I think my sort of mindset and, and sort of philosophy with it all is I want the, the athletes to know why they're doing everything. Um, I know some some don't care. Um, some love it. So it's sort of like, well, if we're going to roll out like a method like this or, or the traffic light system, it's sitting down and going through um, a presentation with them and, and, okay, this is what I want you to do. This is what to expect. This is what's coming up. This is how it may look. So therefore, it sort of gives them that... Um, base layer of, of knowledge of what you're trying to roll out and then those questions can start to evolve from there but you're not again having 30 individual conversations about trying to teach this athlete okay well what's going on on your team builder tonight why does it look like that um, so we'd go through there we talk about it all lay it all out and then um, from that education session within the next two weeks we'd sort of roll one of those methods out for a little bit of a trial period um and and see how it goes from there and if if we do find that it's having its its effect then we'd keep rolling on with it yeah okay so education and then just kind of testing it out as as you go pretty much and so you mentioned in the beginning obviously the, when you before you do this they have to go athletes are gonna have to go through a period of learning and getting everything set so I guess, do you maybe want to explain that process? Is there anything particular about it or is, is it just generally teaching them the movement patterns, et cetera, of, of how you get the athlete from, especially ones that like, uh, I guess, rookies or whatever um, the, the, the vocabulary is for that, ones that have low training ages, et cetera, how they, how they move through it and go from being able to, or go, get into being able to do everything autonom- autonomously themselves? Yeah. Um, so pretty much what we'd look at is having a pretty uh, developed system that we'd be like, okay, these, these are the movements that we know across the year that we're going to sort of um, 
expect the athletes to do. Um, so if, for example, we're thinking about, okay, we want the athletes to do a hang power clean and we've got our draftees come in um, six months beforehand and they've just been picked up and they've come in and they're a range of different training ages. We got pretty lucky this year. We were um, we had some really good uh, movers and really they already had a bit of an established training age. So it allowed us to sort of catch them up to the rest of the program very quickly. Um, so we'd break our athletes down into almost four levels based on where they're at. We'd have our, our top group, which would be uh, more of advanced lifters and those ones who have sort of been through the program for the last four to five years and, and really move well and embrace the gym and everything like that. Our second level down would be those who have sort of um, just maybe finished their rookie contract or just been involved with the program for a few years and maybe not quite there yet or athletes that may not enjoy the gym as much and those high velocity movements and, and um, high load, everything like that to a certain extent, their bodies might not be ready for that. And then we'd have our second year players or players who have sort of come back from long-term injury in our next group. And then we'd have our rookies. So as you can see, we're sort of building like a four-tier system where we're sort of moving the groups up through programs as we go along. So they're getting to experience what everyone else is doing just at a different rate. So we'd sort of look at that system and go, what do we want to get to um, by the start of our season, say our in-season block in the start of February? Where does that sort of lead us to? So if it's a hang power clean, as I sort of touched on before, well, what's the starting point for that um, that rookie group? And it might be going through their clean skills and teaching them the, the breakdown of the individual movements itself. Okay, well, all of a sudden we can do that under a little bit of load. We're adding in different derivatives and everything like that. Just pretty much working along a continuum until we get to the, the point that we go, okay, well, this, is, this athlete is competent enough that if we do throw this in a bit of a chaotic program or system, we know that they're not going to be out of their depth. Or if, if we do know that an individual athlete might not quite be there, we just simply change that exercise to suit where they're at as an individual. But we'd st- still keep um, at least two levels. So we might combine our groups one and two and our groups three and four in season because we feel as though everyone's up to a similar speed by then. And therefore, they've still got two separate program or two separate um, menus they're completing in that time. Okay, so originally you have four and then in-season comes in or later on you combine them more to the two, which is, yeah. I guess, a quote-unquote a higher and lower, I guess, level. Uh, do, do, you, do you find that when you get those draftees or the, the younger ones in, you go through your preseason, et cetera, and, and by then they seem to be pretty pretty good to go because because they're going to be learning the lifts and then they're also going to be learning how to judge how they feel after the lifts and how to judge how much weight to put on it's and all and all of that so do you do you find that th- that through that process in your education it seems most of them actually do progress quite quickly and with with the with that system in education yeah pretty confident by sort of christmas time so our pre-season just to give a bit of background like obviously it's quite a condensed season the aflw at the moment and our season will sort of start, pre-season will start around about start of November, maybe a couple of weeks into November. But we've generally got a bit of time prior to that that our players have get, get drafted to sort of work in with them. So let's say start of October. By about Christmas, I'm pretty confident that that group will hopefully be up to a particular level, a certain level that they're able to almost integrate within the rest of the program. My biggest thing is how can we get all these athletes to integrate within the program that whether we're setting up a bit of a buddy system or a mentoring system so they're sort of teaching each other or 
I want them being able to not feel like they're segregated from a group purely because they're just doing a different program. So, I mean, obviously when you're planning out this stuff for team sports, you've got to, you've got to think about logistics. What facilities have you got available? Our um, home base is going under a renovation at the moment. So we're in a smaller space, less equipment, um, all that sort of stuff. So from a logistical side of things, but then also from like a, an integration um, component as well, how can we get them up to speed quick enough that they're blending in with what the rest of the program are doing? So their maybe top four lifts might be different, but they might be doing all the same accessory work as the rest of the group. But from a logistical factor, we know that we've only got three squat racks at the moment. We can't have 30 athletes cycling through that. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point of, of keeping it integrated. So, so you have these two programs running, but at the same time, you have the athletes still training together. Yeah. Yeah. So they always live together. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool. So kind of, if you have these, this autonomy, autonomy going on and and you've done your education, et cetera, is there certain, is there certain questionnaires, outcome measures, tests, conversations you have to make sure that the athletes are, I guess, I guess, doing it as you would like as well as getting the tr- the benefit and the stimuluses you want from the, the autonomous training yeah great question i think like that is one of the great risks when you are sort of giving it's like how much how much bit of rope do you give your athlete like before they sort of take too much and it's like can we sort of keep on top of of all these different factors um I think when we sort of do give this autonomy we like to try and get as many coaches on the the, the gym floor itself to be able to be coaching and, and watching and making sure that their loads are right. I'll try and prescribe um, as much of the loads preset sort of through Team Builder itself. So it's sort of laid out. So it's like, well, here's an indicator of where I want you roughly to be at tonight, give or take um, a bit each way. But that's the idea. Okay, therefore a coach, if it's not me that's on the floor, they can go up to the athlete, oh yeah, what are you supposed to be lifting tonight? Cool. Conversation starter gets it. Why, why is it not on the... Why have you got 10 kilos less, 15 kilos less on the bar? Oh, I'm, I'm sore. I'm feeling fatigued. So therefore, this conversation started straight away. But by having that sort of preset, it's sort of, it's still giving autonomy to a certain degree and it's making the athlete think, yes, what about what they want to do. But it's also giving them, okay, well, I know that I just have to, I, this is what I have to do tonight. Because some athletes absolutely love that. Some athletes just want to be told, whereas other athletes want full reign about what they're doing because they 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 care so much about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so you you have kind of that amber or yellow orange light pro- programmed already, and then just the conversation starter. If if they vary one way or the other from that, just to kind of make sure and check in that every everything is going is to planned and there are no issues. Yeah, pretty much. So if that's if at least if that's there, they know the expectation of what it's roughly ranging between or what we're looking for that night. Um, and then if they want to have that conversation about they're either feeling better than what's prescribed or if they are feeling, I suppose, worse than what's prescribed and they don't think they can hit that, well then, okay, we can we can make those modifications on the go for that athlete. Yeah. Okay. I get so the second topic we were going to talk about too is in season training, and I, I guess through the conversation, it's my understanding that you, you build up to this autonomy in in season training a lot of the time. So, what I guess are the the main goals that you want to achieve in this in season 
block and what are the different principles or ways you kind of apply that in order to to achieve those goals? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that we sort of look at and hence why this is probably one of the biggest reasons why we sort of did look at these different methods in season was quite often when we do get to the season and games start happening, training start happening, the strength training particularly because it just becomes like a, a back thought. Like it's it's not really um, in the at- forefront of the athlete's mind anymore. It might just sort of start to slip off the edge or they're starting to plateau to a point that eventually they'll fall off the edge. So, I mean, obviously we hear a lot that maintenance is the goal in season. That's the biggest thing we try and avoid. We're still working with developmental athletes that at a point of at, at their their training age isn't at a point that they're sort of able just to go, oh, yeah, we can come in and, and, and actually just maintain. We're still looking for them to get better. So whether it's weight on the bar or whether it's velocity, whether it's um, movement literacy, what mechanically, whatever we're sort of trying to put our main focus behind in that lift or, or the reason of programming a particular, particular exercise, we're still got a goal in mind. So they're still always working towards getting better or achieving something. We sort of programmed it out like we've had over the last two seasons um, athletes hitting PBs in the middle of the year because we've sort of kept up their their training um, loads and their intensities, but obviously stripped that volume completely back so that the quality of the effort is, is there all the time and they're still improving and getting better. And then we can go back to the drawing board at the end of the season and go, well, okay, what technical um, deficiencies showed up with that athlete that we need to get to work with in the off season. But that was the, that's the biggest thing for us. We sort of look at how can we keep these athletes strong, keep them robust, keep them moving well. The athletes that don't lift during season or do fall off the cliff are the ones that most likely end up getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so yeah, keep keep progressing as you mentioned because of the training age is usually lower in this in this newer uh, Yeah system i guess and and does the athlete autonomy and allowing these athletes to choose again as you mentioned that buy-in do you feel that also helps with with the ability to keep resistance training in the gym as a not just a back thought uh in the season yeah definitely it's it's one thing that we sort of found that if we can keep that it's just having new ideas all the time when it comes to in season okay so that was going back to way back to where we started this talk and and I spoke about, okay, well, what ideas can we sort of look to keep the program moving forward and progressing? In-season was an area that I sort of, I'm particularly like passionate about is that you see a lot of the time the athletes will just, as I said, maintain or they fall off the cliff and just start slipping out and missing sessions or or don't want to do the, the, the work to the same intent. So I thought, okay, what ideas can we start to put together? So giving them that autonomy um, keeps them sharp, keeps them, it gives them something new to focus on. The other things that we've tried in season as well, we've, we've done some like competitions, weekly competitions where we might be like, all right, this week we're, we're doing a, a jump or we're doing a, a throw with like a push band on or we're doing a, a t- particular lift, whatever that may be. Have a bit of a leaderboard. All right, who's, who's the queen of the gym for the week? Like who wins that competition? Therefore, there's having a little bit of fun, but it might be an exercise that we go, okay, this is in our program. How can we add some competition to this lift or this movement that, that just creates a bit of energy, a bit of buzz? It makes them want to step into the gym and, and actually be there rather than going, oh, this is a hassle um, and I could be doing better things with my time. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, that's, yeah. Competition definitely is something that really helps keep that energy up. 
you see so you, you are definitely passionate about in-season training and I guess is there any misconceptions that you, you want to address or ways that you use this in-season training because you know a lot of athletes I think and even sports coaches will not want to train the day of the game the day before the game you know, in, even in season sometimes so how do you go about addressing this with your athletes with your coaches and say look this is the benefits this is why we're doing it if you do you train on the day before the day of game day and and how does all that go yeah i think like from a misconception side of things it's it's as i suppose the only real misconception i think is that that maintenance thought and factor like just being able to go oh yeah cool we've, we've done all the work we've we're going to maintain it's it's funny like we always see now as i said within our program the ones that just go within that mindset of where guy oh, cool i can just maintain or or just cruise through now and really focus on my footy are the ones that either will have inconsistent performances or injuries will start to show or they might have weight fluctuations whatever it may be different things like that within the season so if we can keep that consistent training uh, mindset going all the way through, like, as I said, our program only runs for six, six months of the year. So it's not hard to sort of really try and say, hey, we need you to focus for, like, it's a nine-week going on to a 10-week season next next year. It's only an extra 10 weeks that I need you to keep pushing through and, and, and continuing on with those those great standards that you've set. So it's just, again, those conversations. In regards to the coaches, like I'm pretty lucky that I'm, I've got a pretty supportive, like uh, high performance manager, um, and also our coaches are pretty supportive in regards to what they really respect what we do from a high performance perspective at Carlton. So we um, are quite lucky to be able to have that, and therefore we get the time allocated, and they never question what we're doing or why we're doing something, or oh, why are they in the gym when they should be out on the track doing extra skills or whatever it may be. Um, so. From that fact, like we'll do, as most teams will do, a captain's run the day before the game um, and we'll sort of look to to go through generally like a, a primer slash preparation session the day before a game, um, sometimes the morning of a game if we're travelling or something like that. But it's generally, again, um, I sort of touched on this on one of my last posts on social media. We, again, went a different method with this and went again down the athlete autonomy path and gave them two options. What I found was quite a few athletes didn't really enjoy that traditional primer where you, you're heavy squatting or doing like contrast work the morning of or the day before a game. They'd really sort of get anxious about doing that sort of stuff. So this year we thought, okay, well, what, what can we do on that training session that still gets them prepped for the game but makes the athlete feel good? So what we did was we picked two two types, almost like a traditional primer and then more of a movement-based session. So the traditional primer would follow. It's the usual pathway that I suppose we all know of what we're looking for from that neurological, um, neuromuscular priming um, perspective. The other session would be more about, okay, can we go through some um, refining some movement competency? Can we do some coordination drills, um, a little bit of unloaded power and speed work? Um, medicine balls, get these different like lighter loads, bit of active mobility, different movements based through that still have a benefit, but mental, uh, physiologically and psychologically make the athlete feel good knowing that they've got to play within 24 hours. Yeah. So again, yeah, having those two different groups and two different options and helping that buy-in, creating still the movement that you need, uh, just maybe not, as you said, traditional, the, the heavy lifts and etc uh for 
when you have these athletes doing autonomy, is there ever a case that you find an athlete <clears throat> is either maybe not challenging themselves enough or doing certain, I guess, when, when do you step in and say, you know, maybe give that little guidance. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be you're changing everything. I know we talked about some ways to monitor and, and having that conversation, but is there certain things you look for when, when you're being like, okay, maybe I should just go have a little nudge. Maybe like I said, not necessarily change what they're doing, but give them a little, little push to do more or do less or change something. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you look at like times where, um, it sort of may go away from more of a load focus and you might be looking at it and going, okay, what, what other things can we work on? Or cool, can we get the push band out and, and challenge this athlete in a different way because they just look like they're going through the motions? Chuck the push band on, all of a sudden that becomes a velocity focus for them and, and we're just giving them something to, again, all right, they're chasing a, a speed or a number that, again, isn't, isn't all about weight on the bar. Um, other times it might be for some of our more proficient younger athletes, it might be all right, well, tonight we're going to throw you in with um, a couple of the older athletes who are, who are doing some different movements. Um, you've earned the right to be involved in this. Let's see how you go. If you're there and, and you're going okay and everything like that, well, we might give you a little bit more of that as we go along. Or you might sort of slide back into your normal programming or, or things like that. So they might keep that general programming um, that the rest of their group might be doing. But there might be areas that they that they might be more proficient than others that that we can push them a little bit more. But also going the other way, and if if something's too complex for an athlete, but the rest of their movement, like it might be, they might have coordination issues, for example, and we might be doing a highly coordinated exercise or a quite a dynamic movement, and they might not have that coordination or everything like that. But from a lifting weights and and moving the bar at speed and everything like that, they do that really well but it's just this coordination factor exercise. Okay, well, we might dial that down. So again, it's going in, obviously every time you're writing a program, you're thinking to yourself, how can I dial this up or dial it down if I get out on the gym floor and it doesn't go to plan? Yeah, okay. So that makes sense. Still just individualizing it and just having yeah. conversations, finding ways to, to push and pull when you need to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's uh, probably the big thing. Yeah. What, I guess going back to the kind of one of the initial things we talked about with how your training's set up, whether you have your, your gym session, your training session, and then gym session finished. Roughly how long are each of those sessions? And then is that that's through all, throughout all of in-season as well, that you, that you have it structured that way? Yeah, it, it is. It's something that we, the first year, we sort of tried to do it um, all post-training. Um, and because we're still expecting, we're working within a part-time program at the moment. Um, and that's just where the where the league's at and everything like that. And that's fine. It's it's something that we've just got to adapt to. And the first year we sort of went through and we had them coming off the track and they were lifting. And some nights we're getting off the track 9, 9.30 at night. And then we're expecting them to come in and, and lift to this program that I've written out. And these intensities and move with intent and everything like that. And they're absolutely fatigued because they've been at work all day or then they've just done seven or eight uh, Ks on the track or six to eight Ks on the track. And then they're coming in expected to lift. So we thought, well, what are the better ways of being able to try and get this through, be a little bit more time efficient, um, but then increase, like the biggest thing obviously is in the quality of work. So we sort of thought, well, can we split this into two, utilize time pre-training? So again, it totally depends on what the athlete does during the day. Like we sort of have the gym open from 4.30 till 6 p.m. 
And that's preparation time. How they use that time, they've got go and see physios, do all that sort of stuff, individual prep. Um, they can do go and talk to coaches, whatever it may be. But they've got four exercises they know they have to go and tick off. So that might take them half an hour, let's say, or if they want to take their time, 45 minutes. They get to use their time however they want. But for the athlete that rocks up at 6.30, cool, they might straight in, warm up, get their gym done, and then go and see physios or, or allocate their time. So we sort of put that back on them. If you do need to do multiple things pre-training, give yourself as much time as you can. Um, but then after training, anything you don't get done, we can always add on to the end later on. And then straight off the track, they'll come in, Whilst they're warm, we'll get into lifting and go through it from there. Generally, again, sort of three to four exercises max. If they've got some leftovers that they haven't done pre-training, well, then they can tie that on to the end. We try and don't let that go for any more than sort of 40 minutes um, to get the girls out of the club. Yeah, okay. And then you said your your before exercises, is that, do you have your main, is your mains there or is that post? They'll be post. So our mains will generally, let's say, think about, all right, we'll, if we picked, we're going to do a squat pattern and a hinge pattern as our two main mains for the week, we will have Tuesday or Thursday, they'll, they can pick what they want and then they'd flip over and do the other one on Tuesday or Thursday. We will just edit the volume based on when the game is. So obviously if they're going to do their um, heavy, heavy posterior chain lowers on a Thursday night, well then we're not going to go too much volume if they're going to go and play on Saturday. So we might just trim some volume back, let it leave a little, more, little bit more volume in the squat earlier in the week because they're feeling okay, however we want to do that. And then it's up to us whether we sort of, sometimes we might contrast those movements or we might accessorize it with, with a different movement pattern as part, to yeah, make yeah. up our mains. Yeah, perfect. I guess, is, is there any last bit of advice or for athletes, coaches, that are thinking about doing this autonomous way of training, uh, things that you've found that you've changed throughout it or ways that, I guess, work best for you, just just some, I guess, general advice that you have uh, for people. Yeah, I think just taking into, into account um, what your demographic looks like from an athlete perspective is a big thing. Like, we've, we've got athletes anywhere between 18 years old and 36 on our list. So that was something that, really brought about this was okay well our 33 to 36 year olds they know what they need to do to get up for a game on a weekend and that was what brought in okay well they might go and jump on and do a hack squat instead because they feel a lot better doing that movement or they might be not squatting to as deep a range or whatever that movement may be so taking into account that so your age demographic obviously if you're working in an in an underage competition then you're going to be have your athletes all pretty similar and then breaking that down and looking okay what training age are we working with as well and, and where are they at i think if you are going to try and roll something out like this would be to sit down and actually map out well, what, what's the end goal where do you want to get that athlete to in regards to um particular lifts or a particular level and that's okay that's where i'm going to have in that program in six months time what do i need to do to get all my players to that level before i roll that out because otherwise what you're going to do is you're going to have that program ready to go or roll out but you're going to have 10 different athletes at 10 different levels and you're going to spend all your time doing too much individualization rather than making your life easier by rolling out something like this and that that's the idea as well it, it makes your life well it should make your life a lot easier because the athletes thinking for themselves rather than you having to spoon feed them all the time 
Yeah. Yeah, no, great advice. And thank you very much for taking the time to be on the, the episode. If if you just want to maybe shout out where people can follow you and then connect with you, uh, if if you're okay with it, if anyone reaching out for questions and all that, um, yeah, where where you can where you put out your content. Yeah, cool. Um, I pretty much any content that I'll put out might be on just on Instagram. So my tags just at Coach Steve Moore. Um, so yeah, you can follow me on there or message me message me through that. Or if um, yeah, you want to get in contact with me, um, email is probably the best way. Um, which is yeah, Steve at CarltonFC.com.au. Um, but yeah, if you got any questions or anything like that, feel free to um, to reach out because probably sp- spoke a lot of dribble today, and some stuff might not make sense. So I'm happy to clarify on anything um, that we spoke about. But yeah, thank you. No problem. Thanks again. Thanks, Patrick. Take care, man. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you'd enjoy the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning content and injury rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on my website, www.patrick-wood.com. All this information can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening.